morning. So glad that you're here. I hope that you're glad you're here. What a great time of worship. Thanks for worshiping the Lord with us together. And if this is your first time here, we just want you to know that this is what we're about. We want to connect people to Jesus so that he can change their lives. And if uh, you are new to church, thanks for giving Southbridge a try. We hope that you would feel free to come back. We'd love to know how you found out about us. So if you could fill out the connection card, which you can find attached to your bulletin, please fill it out and take that out to the first-time guest kiosk. We'd love to give you a gift. It's just our way of saying thank you for being here today. And if this is your home church, we're glad that you're here. And we want to continually connect ourselves to Christ for life change. He is our hope. He is our peace. And so what you're experiencing uh, through worship as, a, as your first time here, this is what we want to have normal in the ministries and um, programs of our church, the relationships we cultivate in our church. We want to direct people to Christ. This morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. We've called this, um, this series Movement, which is about the movement of the church, how the church began and continued on through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the spread of it. I'm going to ask the Lord to be our instructor this morning, so you pray with me. Lord, for this morning, thank you. Thank you for each person that's here. Lord, we, we pray that you would inhabit the praise of your people. And Lord, we pray as we open your word that you would instruct and teach us that we'd have an encounter with you. And Lord, we are not interested in um, uh, a speech. I'm not interested in it. I don't have the strength or the ability to change anybody's life. God, we invite you to do it. And Lord, um, I pray that you would encourage us and convict us, enrich our lives as a result of having an encounter with you and your word and that you would teach us this morning, and Lord, that you would set our hearts um, on a mission to connect more people to you. So for the sake of our city, I pray these things, and, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you survived the snowpocalypse. Did you hear messages this week that we're supposed to get like 15 inches of snow? Mm, more like 1.5, maybe. I don't know who grew up in the north here. I grew up in Michigan. My mom told me yesterday that I think they received about 100 inches of snow where they're at. It's the worst she can remember since a ch- being a child in the Detroit area. 100 inches. That's not of God. The place is cursed. The north is cursed. Yes. So I heard this week that potentially it's toward the end of the week, and I'll have to ask my, um, people, my friends that are into weather uh, if we're supposed to get 20 inches this week. I heard something like that. Someone at Harris Teeter said that, but I think they might just be... It might be propaganda to buy more eggs and milk. Isn't that what we do? We're supposed to do that? Everyone's having breakfast, every meal. Well, we receive messages like this all the time from the weather people. I don't know how accurate they are. We receive messages about the weather. We receive various messages in the news and invitations all the time, hundreds of times a day. In fact, that's why advertising exists and shows exist, to inform you. And they want to inform you of what they say is fact. Have you ever heard this before? Make money from home doing nothing. Huh? That's an interesting proposition because I've done nothing before and no one paid me. But if I pay them thirty nine ninety five in time, I'll make money doing nothing. I think the only person making money is the person I'm giving them thirty nine ninety five to. Have you heard this before? Lose weight, do nothing. Now I've done nothing before, and I usually gain weight. I'm I'm, I'm not very smart, so I'll have to investigate that. How do you navigate the messages you receive? In fact, our parents even get on this. Did you ever receive this message as a child before? After eating a meal at the beach or maybe poolside, you have to wait one hour before swimming? What kind of propaganda is that? That's just mom and dad don't want to watch you, right? It's a lie, and your mom's a liar. You can tell her I said that. (laughs) Tell her that your pastor said that your mom's a liar. Don't swallow the gum because it takes seven years to digest. That's not true. Sugar makes kids hyperactive. Actually, there's no reports of that. You know what makes them hyperactive? They're kids. We give them no sugar, and it's the same. Yeah. 
We're given lots of news. We're given lots of messages every week. And how do you navigate what's true? What do you use to know as a standard of what's true? I've seen before on Facebook, my friends post things and say, if you don't forward this, you'll have bad luck for seven years. Is that true? Who's in the seven-year cycle of bad luck that could report this about? Some of our Christian friends, if you don't do this, then you're not a real Christian and stuff. When someone says that, I automatically don't do it. I just want to test it. I just want to see it. We're all given messages all the time about what is true, isn't it? Isn't that happening in our lives? In fact, it happens also in relationship things to relationship to, to God. People are making statements, and you see this on TV or online or shows on the radio. Messages about God and his character, secrets to spirituality, claims of biblical fact, hidden codes in the Bible, insights into the past, and secrets of the future. Have you received these before? How do you know what is true? Certain ways to salvation, are they true? How do you go about navigating your life in the midst of all these messages? How ought God's word lead us in navigating all the messages we receive? How would it serve us well to grow in our desire to receive and examine God's word daily? That's what today's message is about. It's really a word about God's word. <laughs> we got to try to figure out what to cut because God's word is full of itself, if I may be so bold. And speaking about what it is, what it's for, what it does. And so this morning, if you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Acts chapter 17. This is where we're going to continue our series. Last week we looked at the beginning of Acts chapter 17. And what we've come to realize over time is that Jesus Christ had set his disciples and anyone that would follow him from then on, on a mission. And that mission is to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known. We see this in the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, or 1 verse 8, that his disciples will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, and it's happening. So if you fast forward all the way through chapter 17, there's new disciples that are now following Christ and making Jesus Christ known. One such disciple was Paul, who had a radical encounter with God. His name used to be Saul. In fact, he changed his name. And now he's been going city to city with some teammates, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at Paul and his teammates and their visit to Thessalonica, and today we're looking at their visit in another city called Berea. We know last week that some people received the message with great joy and others did not. In fact, there was an uproar. There was uh, a turning against Paul and his companions because they were not desirous of the message of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so let's look at verse 10 as we continue this series and remembering, keeping in mind what we're looking for is how would it serve us well to grow in our desire to receive and examine God's word, especially in light of all the messages that we receive about who God is, what he's like, what he wants, what he says. Look at verse 10. There's some things here to imitate, I believe. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Let me stop there for a minute. Scott had told me, our lead pastor Scott had told me a story that he had met someone from Berea and they love to quote this passage, especially to the people that are from Thessalonica. Because it's in the Bible. That they're smarter and more noble. Okay. Amazing slam, I think. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believe, and as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy, Paul's teammates, stayed at Berea. The men who, was, who escorted Paul um, brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So this message, Paul had a message to bring to the people of Berea. 
And he had a message to bring them. This message was the, that the promised and expected Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. And that they could place their trust and confidence as Jesus Christ is their Savior. Now, I think there's something here. There's something here about the Bereans that we can learn from, that we can imitate as it relates to how we can better process the messages that come to us. Messages related to, to worldview, faith, trust. Messages about God. The kind of ones that we receive every day. And I think that Luke, who's the author of this, of this letter, intends for readers of this letter to um, appreciate and imitate the example of the Bereans and how they received the preaching of Paul, so God's word, and how they interacted with God's word. Look at verse 11 again. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? For or because they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Why were the Bereans nobler than the Thessalonians, the people of Thessalonica? The Bible tells us because they received the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So this was a big difference. This is a contrast between last week's um, passage and this week. The people that received the message last week and the people that are receiving it here in our text this week. The difference between them and the people of Thessalonica is that they were eager to receive the word of God. And this is something to imitate. So we need to be eager to receive God's word. We need to be eager to receive God's word. If you're a note taker, you can write that down and just lay your life on top of these ideas. Is this true? Am I eager to receive God's word? They wanted to know whatever had to be said about the Messiah, about the Savior. And so they were ready for Paul and his team. They wanted to know what he had to say. So when we look at the Bible and we study God's word, what we want to do is think about our own lives in light of what we're seeing in Scripture. So let's ask ourselves, you think about you, Are we really eager to hear the word of God? Do we really desire to dig into God's word to know him more? To know about his plan and what he wants of and for us? When I think about my life, honestly, the answer is sometimes. What about you? Maybe for you, you're at a place in your faith right now that it's a resounding yes. Daily, you are immersing yourself in God's word. And maybe you're at a place right now where it's just... I don't really like it that much. There's other things I'd rather do. You know what? There was a time that I was not hesitant to receive a word. When my wife and I first met, we met in the middle of our senior year of college. And uh, we began this relationship and she would often write me these love notes and I'd do my best to write some back to her. And anytime I would receive one, I didn't like wait a few days. I wanted to know what this letter had to say. In fact, I have all these letters still. They're in a shoebox at my home. I've got every one of them. And I'm a words kind of guy. I receive love through words. So I was ready to receive these words. And I usually read the end first because I got to know how she signed off. Is it simply sincerely? That's not going to work. That's not what I'm looking for. Cordially? No. What am I looking for? I'm looking for love, right? I'm looking for yours faithfully. Your truly yours are yours forever. Some huge loving language. That's what I want. When I had received a letter from Amanda and she'd send it via the mail, let me do some explaining. You buy this thing that you put on an envelope, no, and then you give it to a guy that's riding a horse and they, seems like forever ago. Seems like forever ago. But I love the letters. You know, some people have a perception of God's word and it's pretty accurate that God's word is like a love letter. You know, have you ever heard this um, verse before? Some have put it in a song. Jesus loves me, this I know. How do you know that God loves you? For the Bible tells me so. Wow. 
So you wouldn't know it unless you knew God's word. Is that right? See, I wouldn't know about Amanda's affections for me unless I read those letters. And then her actions were consistent with those letters. What I was experiencing face-to-face with Amanda is the same as what I'm reading on those letters. And I love those letters. I was reading through several of them last night. Mm-hmm. She was really impressed with me back then. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. Do you have the same affection for God's word that you might have for a love letter written to you? What about this? Maybe you're like, I'm not into that mushy stuff. How about this? When someone would be paying you via a check in the mail, would you put that off or would you take a look at it? If you thought that maybe a bonus was coming your way and you received it by hand, do you think you'd take a look at it sometime or right away? See, maybe that's your love language, money or an idol. So how do you respond? Are you like the Bereans when you're eager to, to hear the word of God? When I look at my life, the answer is sometimes. The book of Psalms speaks often about God's word. As I said, God's word is full of itself. And various psalmists write of their love for God's word. In fact, there's a famous psalm in the middle of your Bible. It's Psalm 119. Do you know this one? If you do, it'd be awesome because it's the longest one. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses. I'm going to read some selections for you. We don't know who the author is. Some think it's David who wrote many of the songs we see in Psalms. Some think it's Daniel. That's not a very popular pick, but some have suggested that. And others say Ezra, who was a prophet. This last two weeks, I've spent some time reading it and kind of laying my life on top of the principle that I'd ever teach you. Do I value God's word? Do I long to receive God's word? And I recognize there's a difference between me and the author. We know that in Psalm 119, most of the 176 verses say something about God's word, law, decree, precepts, ways, promises. Listen to a couple selections from Psalm 119. I hope they bless you. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I'll rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Is that true? I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth as it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate, it all, I meditate on it all day long. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Hmm. There's something very different about that author and me. What about you? 
Is there room to grow in your affection for God's word? Is there a difference between the person that are saying these things just about God's law? Not even knowing yet the gospels of Jesus Christ. Not even knowing yet the pastoral epistles that we see in Titus and Timothy. Not even knowing the writings of Peter and John. From the law, this person has a love for the Lord and everything he has to say. Amazing, isn't it? I remember growing up at, a, at my church, um, we had a pastor that moved to another state. And so before finding another pastor that would help shepherd our flock, we had what was called an interim pastor. Maybe some of you have experienced that before. And the person they brought in was in his mid to, uh, mid to late 70s. And I can remember several, several weeks in a row, he'd begin his messages with quoting long passages of Scripture. And not that you would do this, but I found myself thinking that he's boring. You guys would never do that. I found myself critiquing his messages, you wouldn't do that, as being wanting for entertainment. But here's the deal, and this was when I was probably late middle school, maybe beginning of high school. He kept doing it every week. And it wasn't the same passage he said last week. And what I recognized in time as a youth is that this man is different than me. The word of God was spilling, flowing out of his mouth from his heart because it was hidden in his heart and he had a joy. He wasn't trying to impress anyone. He didn't give a rip about that. He's an interim pastor. He knows he was there for a season. There was a difference. So I have to ask myself the question, do I love God's word like that? Am I eager to receive God's word? And you ask yourself, maybe you'd ask yourself this question as I've asked myself, why don't I want to know God's word? Another way to ask the same thing is, why don't I love God's word? Have you wondered that before? Why am I more interested in the game than I am interested in getting to know who God is and what he's about? Have you ever wondered that? Honestly, we can speak honestly at Southbridge. No one's judging you. God, but none of us here. I think there's some answers. Here's answers for me. Why I don't want to know God's word. I don't know what's in it then. Because if I knew it was in it, then I'd want to, I guess, right? I don't know my purpose in reading it. I open it up and I don't know where to start and I don't know why I'm doing this. Is that your answer? I've forgotten that God's word speaks into my present reality over and over again. I've been fooled into thinking that lesser things will satisfy me. Is that your answer? It's idolatry. You're trying to look for comfort and satisfaction in something lesser than the creator and what he has to say. Is your answer, I've never tasted and seen how good God is in his word? Maybe the answer is, I act like I'm self-reliant and all-knowing, so I'm not interested in knowing what God has to say. So I don't need God's wisdom. What is your answer if you were to speak it in your mind as to why you're not ravenous for God's word? Do you have it? And this isn't for condemnation. This is just for opportunity to learn and then we'll move on from the learning, right? A more positive direction then. What can I do to cultivate this eagerness like the Bereans had? Here's a couple things to do. Ready? Remember a time when scripture has blessed you. Or to use a youth term, has rocked you. Do you have one? Do you have a scripture that God has used in the past 
that blessed you. It changed you. It changed your world. It changed your mind. It set a focus. You can remember that time, and guess what? He'll do it again with a new one in the perfect time. I can remember as a child when I was given a passage, 1 Peter 5, 7. Does anyone have this one hidden in their heart? Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Do you think children want to know that they're cared for? Oh, it rocked me. That's a statement of promise. And it's actually an invitation that I can talk to God. I can pray to God. I can throw my anxieties on him. That's a foreshadowing for me because I've struggled with anxiety significantly in adulthood. Very different than as a youth. Different things. Cast your cares to him, Jason, because he cares for you. First Peter 5, 7. I can remember when I was given a passage in Matthew chapter 10, uh, 10 to 11, when Jesus is speaking to disciples and he's saying, as on, on my behalf, as witnesses to myself, don't worry when you talk, talk in front of people, don't worry about what to say or how to say it because it won't be you speaking with the spirit of my father speaking through you. Oh, goodness, that, that rocked me because that's exactly what I do. Worry about what to say and how to say it. Do you have a verse? Do you have a scripture in, in mind? Guess what? Use that, remember that, to know that he can do it again and go and find it. He'll actually bring it to you. And I don't know how many times I've read the scripture. I don't know how many times I've read the whole Bible. But here's the truth. God's word is the same, but it engages our life differently as we go through different seasons. And so if you're a guest of Southbridge, if this is your first time here, you're checking out church again, you need to know this. No one here knows everything about the Bible. So don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Everyone here is a learner. And there's more to learn about God, his character, his goodness, his plan, what he's for, what he's against. But it has to begin with the desire to get to, to, get to know him, to get to know God's word. So one thing that you can do to help cultivate an eagerness is to remember a passage that God has used. If you've got no remembrance, you've never tasted how good God is, then you have to start or learn from someone else what they thought was awesome and start at their verse. That's kind of like pure discipleship. Here's another thing you can do. Remind yourself of some of the reasons to be eager about receiving God's word. What are some reasons? And I'll list them for you. Bear with me. To get to know your Savior. Is that a good enough reason? To get to know your Heavenly Father. To get to know how God's Spirit speaks through God's word. To get to know what God wants of and for you. To assist you in navigating the messages of this world is what we talk about in the beginning of this message. God's word instructs about salvation as profitable for correction and edification, for doctrine and practice, for regenerating spiritual vitality. It illuminates the mind to the truth. It makes wise the simple. It's used by God's spirit to cultivate sanctification and renewing hope. It assists in producing faith and grows trust, points towards obedience, reveals destructive and righteous paths. It promotes growth in grace and peace, teaches how to be a godly man, woman, and child, instructs on how to be a godly husband, wife, friend, leader, manager, financial steward, godly employer and employee, how to work, how to deal with money, how to deal with conflict, how to deal with enemies, how to fight rightly, how to deal with injustice, how to deal with loss, how to deal with grief, sin, shame, what is valuable? What is their identity? God's agenda for creating marriage and sex. What is true love is and isn't, and so on and so forth. Amen. We could, I, could, I could just read a list all day. Is it compelling? Would you like to know if God has something to say about your day? If it's yes, it's there. And you're invited. The Bereans, they were ready. They were ready to receive this message. They were ready to receive God's word, and so they did. Are you ready to receive God's message?
as often as possible. The Bereans, this is something that we need to imitate of them. This is, there's something else that they did as well. And so let's look back at verse 11. So the first thing to do is to imitate them as they were ready to receive, who were eager to receive. And now look at this verse 11 again. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They were ready to examine God's word. So not only were they ready to receive it, but they were ready to examine it. And that's something for us to imitate, to be ready to examine God's word. You can write that down. Am I not only ready to receive God's word, but am I ready to examine God's word, especially in light of the things that I receive every day about who God is, what he's about, what my feelings have to say about my life, what temptations come my way? Am I ready to examine God's word? See, they checked for themselves to see if what was said was true to God's word. This made them considered noble. I came across this quote this week. The most common denominator in people's unbelief is the fact that they have never searched it out. Well, why don't you believe that? I don't know. Well, did you take a look at these things? No. No. I don't believe that Raleigh is the capital of North Carolina. Why? I don't know. Sounds like, sounds like what we sound like in our youth. Right? How was school today? Fine. What happened? I don't know. Well, were you there? Yeah. For these folks, they checked it out. But for many people in their unbelief, it's that they have never searched it out. And see, this can also be said of people who say they're Christians, but also don't claim belief in what the Bible teaches about various topics. So we know this is most likely true in Raleigh and probably even in Southbridge. I hope not. That we'll say that Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. But whatever Jesus has to say about living this life, I've got that figured out. Whatever God has to say about eternity or hell or our sin, nature, judgment, relationships, sex, money, Christ's exclusivity, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's the only way to heaven. Jesus said it himself. Uh, For that, that stuff's debatable. But you don't think there's any debate about Jesus being your Savior. Are you flowing with me? Have you ever heard someone say something about a particularly blatant biblical topic? Well, I don't believe that. Why? I just don't. That's not very compelling. Have you ever heard someone say this? I would never believe in a God that would fill in the blank. So then your unbelief in a God that would never ever do what you don't believe God would do is not based on the authority of God's word about himself, but your word about him. Are you flowing with me? How can a Christian then say with confidence and with any authority that Jesus is my Savior? I am heaven bound because Jesus is the way. Who told you that? The scriptures. So what about the rest of your life? I've got that. So what we like to do is, I like the gospel stuff. Nope, no, no. Take this out. Let me adjust that. (laughs) Get that off the list. I'm good. Is it true? The more true you want something to be, the harder it is to reject. And the more committed you are to rejecting something, even the truth, the harder it is to receive. So what will be the standard outside of yourself as the authority on who God is and what he's about and what he wants for your life? 
So for the Bereans, what they did is they received a message about God and his plan about Jesus Christ. They received this from Paul. And what they did is they took their scriptures and went through the scriptures to verify Paul's testimony. Amazing, isn't it? See, the Christian life will ever will be ever growing in depth and influence if we are continually immersing ourselves and the messages we receive about God in the scriptures. So what's happening is it's allowing the scriptures to be the microscope, to be the authority. So when you receive a message about who God is and what he wants or what he's like, you take that statement, those thoughts that are given to you as fact, and you look at them through the microscope of God's word. Is this true? The Bereans examined the word. The word examined here, um, Luke's original recipients would have understood this word to be the idea of like sifting up and down. Examining, to, to make careful and exact research would be the definition, as in like a legal process. They would think there's too much at stake to not be sure. So what was it they were testing? Let's do some Bible study questions together. What was it that the, the Bereans were testing, loved ones? The answer is Paul's message, right? And what was Paul's message? Well, we don't have it written right here. We don't have a sermon written right here when he's speaking to the people of Berea, but we have his message from the beginning of the chapter to Thessalonica, and then all his previous messages were very similar. And so I'm going to read a previous message. It's always the same message from him. Verse 2 of chapter 17. As his custom was, Paul went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So that's the message that Paul preaches. So what did the Bereans examine? Why did the Bereans examine the Scriptures every day? The answer is to see if what Paul said was true. So let's ask this question as a, Bible, a good Bible student would do. What scriptures would they have used then to test if what Paul said was true? What would they have had? And the answer is they would have had the law and the prophets. I'm going to read some of them for you. Some of the things that they could have found out about what Paul had to say about Christ. See, the gospels aren't written yet for them. So they're receiving testimony from Paul and testimony from others who have been changed by God. But Paul's reasoning from their scriptures and they go back to their scriptures themselves. Here's some of them that they would have had, especially the book of Isaiah and Pastor Scott referenced this last week. They would have known these facts, these prophetic statements, and only Christ fulfills them all. That he was the heir to the throne of David, that's Isaiah chapter 9, from the tribe of Judah, Genesis chapter 49. Of the seed of Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. Born of the seed of woman, Genesis chapter 3. Born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. Born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5. Would be a Nazarene, Judges 13, 5. And Amos 2, 11, Lamentations 4, verse 7. That there would be a messenger coming before him that says, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's John the Baptist. We know about that in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. I'm just picking some of them. This was a, a friend gave me these this week. Thankful to him. That the Messiah would be hated without cause. That's Psalm chapter 35. That people would, not, that people would hear, hear not and see not. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 and 10. That this Messiah would heal the blind, the deaf, and the lame. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 18, 35, 5 and 6. That he'd be rejected by his own people. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3. That he'd be wounded for our sins. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. That he'd preach to the poor and brokenhearted as captives. Isaiah chapter 61. That um, sold for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. Then those 30 pieces of silver was prophesied they'd be given for a potter's field. That's also in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13. And then those 30 pieces of silver would be thrown into the temple, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13. They'd be forsaken by his disciples, betrayed by a friend, accused by false witnesses, silent to accusations, spat upon, smitten and scourged, 
Zechariah, Psalms, Isaiah, crucified with criminals, side pierced, his body was pierced, that he'd be mocked. And he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Isaiah, Zechariah, Psalms, resurrected from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. Psalm chapter 16. So our passage says that the Bereans spent every day investigating the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. And wouldn't it take every day? Because I just read a handful of, of them for you. Over and over and over again from their prophets saying what the Messiah would do and be like an experience. And Christ fulfills every one of them. Amazing, isn't it? This is a good way to share with your friends from Jewish that have a Jewish heritage. To share with them from the law and the prophets, their law and the prophets, that Jesus was the one that was spoken of. That they might be saved. So the big question then is this. How can you and I know if what someone shares with us about God is actually true? The answer is, check the Bible. It seems simplistic, doesn't it? But how often do we just accept a message, receive a message? How often do you see other people just accepting something without testing the merits of what is said? Where is the authority behind what was said? Scott has shared a strong approach when looking at messages like this that come at us. He's maybe shared in church where he shared with me this week. When you're hearing message about what God is like, you could ask, is it consistent with God's character, his commands, and his principles as found in God's word? Listen carefully. As a Christian, acceptance of teachings and statements about God without discernment is not a virtue. So what will be the standard to know? The same standard that any Christian would say that Jesus loves them because the Bible tells them so. So let's consider some everyday examples, everyday messages, which sometimes come from others and sometimes are perpetuated by ourselves. In what you know of the scriptures, think about these statements that just are flippantly shared and accepted as truth, but test them with what you know of scripture. Okay, here's one for you. Since God loves everyone, everyone is heaven bound. That's half true, isn't it? The scriptures are clear that God so loved the world, so much that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him might not eternally perish, but have everlasting life. Half true. Universalism says that everyone will be in heaven. The Bible doesn't say that. How about this one? Have you heard this one before? God is not involved in life's affairs and doesn't care about people and their suffering. There's people that believe this. There's people that teach that God wishes he could be involved, but he can't because he's bound by the freedoms that he created in the world. Open theism is the idea that he's a master chess player. He can move some pieces around, but he really is bound by so many things. Not much of a God then. Can you imagine the damage that that would do if that belief sunk into your heart? It would be counter the scripture that I had first received as a, as a child. Cast your anxieties to God because he cares for you. It'd be counter everything we see in the Old Testament as he's engaging his people. It'd be counter the mission of Christ, wouldn't it? Yet it is a message that is believed. So we have to be a people that examine God's word. Have you ever heard this one before? God is love. And God knows my heart. And, doesn't care, uh, and, and he doesn't care about how I live, just as long as I'm sincere in belief. Hmm? 
Is God love? Does God know a heart? Who can know a heart, the scriptures tell us? It's desperately wicked. But the scriptures say that the Lord can know a heart. Jesus, the scriptures say about Jesus, that he knew what they were thinking, he knew their hearts. So he doesn't care about how I live just as long as I'm sincere in belief. Isn't it interesting how oftentimes we say we believe something, but our lives demonstrate we don't believe the thing that we say we believe in, but we say we believe in it? But God knows my sincerity. Yeah, he knows that you're sincerely wrong. So does everyone else. Come on. And it's easy to shot call in other people's lives, isn't it? But it's sometimes hard to be honest with ourselves. That's a, that's a wrong teaching. That'd be like saying, God only cares that I believe in the fact that Jesus rose again. And he's cool with the fact that it hasn't changed my life in any way. Are you flowing with me? So I'm trying to be a good shepherding pastor here because these are the things that you'll visit me in the office and might say these things. So I'm trying to save my time. No. I care. We care about you. How about another one? God made me. And he made me to feel. This was really true for me because I feel like my emotions are like way bigger than anybody else's. So I'm arrogant, prideful. I have big feelings inside me. God made me and he made me to feel. And I have always had these feelings. Therefore, it's his fault if I violate his words that counter those feelings. Are you flowing with me? It's like saying this. Since God's responsible for making me and he's made me this way, this is the truth. And what God has to say that counter how I feel, that's secondary. How I feel is primary. And God will certainly understand. Those commands then are for people that don't really feel that way, but I feel this way. Let me give you an example. Sometimes I feel like I want more money. God's made me this way. I love comfort. I love all-you-can-eat buffets. And so sometimes I need more money to do what I want because I feel like I want something. The other day at BB&T, I was cashing a check and the ladies had a stack of cash sitting outside as they were um, cleaning out a machine. And I thought to myself, God made me. I have these feelings. I see the money. I want the money. If I take the money, it's his fault that I violate his word, which says do not steal. Does that sound like nonsense? Then why do we apply it to other things and we think that God's cool with it? And guess what? It's so easy to see in someone else's life, but it's so hard to admit to ourselves. But we have to be a people that already receive God's word as the authority, not ourselves as the authority over God's word, and then examine God's word. And this means the messages about God that we receive from others and also used to perpetuate ourselves. The feelings one is a hard one. But guess what? When someone says, you know what, just follow your heart, are you saying that your heart's never led you astray? <laughs> That's why I end up in the buffets. Use God's word to examine the messages and feelings that come your way. We have to be ready to examine God's word to test all things that are thrown our way as fact. The same can be true also using this style and approach when facing temptation. What are you armed with when facing temptation? An invitation to violate God's word. For Christians, the Holy Spirit enables you to fight the good fight of faith and perseverance and righteousness, usually by using God's word. So God's truth, recalled and spoken and lived out, is the offensive to temptation. It's the weapon we have to temptation. This is exactly what Jesus did. 
In Luke chapter 2, we see that the accuser tempts him multiple times. And each time, Christ speaks scripture back to the temptation. He's actually speaking the law. He speaks Deuteronomy back to the temptations. Isn't that amazing? One of the temptations was pitched in an especially conniving way. I want to read it for you. I want you to see it. This is from Luke chapter 4, verse 9 through 13. The devil led him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem. I've been there. It's a real place. And he said, he took him and took on the highest point of the temple. The temple doesn't exist anymore. If you are the son of God, and that's interesting phrasing because it's a doubt statement. It's like when people say this, if God is good, then as if God's goodness is in doubt. Instead of saying God is good, then how do I view the circumstances? That's what Satan does too. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. There's no problem, right? If you're the son of God, then you can go out and do it. Nothing's going to happen. But guess what Satan does? He actually adds scripture. So the very technique and plan and path I'm offering you to do using scripture to navigate temptation and messages and feelings is what Satan does with Jesus. In fact, he quotes Psalms to Jesus. Look at the next verse. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. That's true. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone, Jesus. So here's the challenge, and here's the verse to apply that challenge, Jesus. Clever, isn't it? You know, the Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone, and sometimes my wife and I are in the same place, and so I have these needs, and so the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. So sometimes I just go on dates with other people. Madness, right? But the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. Yes, we got that. What is Jesus going to do then? How is he going to counter this temptation to show Satan, listen, I'm the man. I created you. I'm holding all things together. He simply says back, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. See, the accuser uses scripture to bolster the temptation. And if Jesus used recalled scriptures then to fend off temptations that appeal to his flesh, do you think that that would be a good approach for us? I, I have to actually hear you answer it. <laughs> okay. Let's, yeah. Because I'm worried sometimes. I'm worried about us. We need God's word to navigate the messages, feelings, and temptation that come our way. Just as Jesus did. So, what effect then did this eagerness to receive and this readiness to examine the message have for the Bereans? What did it do for them? Look at verse 12. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. They believed. And they didn't just intellectually agree that Paul had some good points. You know, Paul, you make some good points about Jesus being the Messiah and I think we'll take some of that. We also think Zeus is pretty, pretty awesome, and we're still hoping out for a better Messiah that will come more triumphantly and not be so meek and mild. That's not what they did. They didn't say, you know, Jesus seems to be like a really good moralist, a good moral teacher. We'll take some of his teachings and mix it with some of our um, Greek education. No. What they did then is they placed their faith and trust and confidence in Christ. And in turn, it would would dictate how they live. Don't miss this. The reading and study of God's word is not the end itself. If you do all that and miss Christ, 
you're dead. And that's what Jesus had to say to some scholars. Last passage for you. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus speaks about this very thing. And the people he's speaking to, they know the word. They know the law. They know the prophets. Better than you and I, I would imagine. I'm just guessing. And Jesus says to them, you diligently study the scriptures. That's exactly what the Bereans were doing, isn't it? Because you think, though, that by them, by studying them and simply knowing them and being able to get an A in the Bible test, you'll possess eternal life. No, no, no. These are the scriptures that testify about me, Christ is saying. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And that's why I would say, you're dead. If you do all this, if you examine the scriptures, if you're ready to receive God's word and you're ready to examine God's word and you're testing all the messages, but it doesn't lead you to better followership of Christ, you're lost. Some would say that was a waste of time. So knowing that reading, getting smarter about the Bible, being able to argue points, counterpoints, debating text and manuscript issues, theology, church methodology, religious tradition, and so on means nothing if you miss Jesus. So the point of it all is having a personal saving relationship with Christ, ongoing encounters with him through his word. And in turn, we obediently imitate Jesus and live on gospel mission so that others might come to life in him through us. Do you think it's true that it's possible that in our city, our fair city of Raleigh, that there's lots of Bible studies and people can get A's on Bible tests, but they don't know Christ? I grew up in Christian education, K through 12, and then college. And then I took a Bible comprehensive degree and an education degree and a Christian education and youth minor. Then I went on mission trips. Then I went to Sunday school, Sunday church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, mission trips since middle school, high school, college, served in South Africa for a couple months, been in ministry and student ministry for five years. This will be eight years here. Is it possible that someone like me can grow up and still not know Christ, but participate in all those things? The answer is yes, loved ones. So the point isn't, look at how many Bible studies I've gone to and look how much I know. It's look at what Jesus is doing in me and praise going to him and God help me follow you and navigate this life for your glory. There's a difference, isn't there? So let's commit to experiencing continued life change as we encounter the living God by regularly receiving God's word. Not just Sundays here when Scott gives us the word that he studied. And then readily examining the truth, especially the messages that you receive here on TV from friends and family that are even well-wishers. And after examining the truth, live it out. And help one another live it out. Let's pray. Lord, for this morning, thank you. Thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for your word. Lord, would your will be like our food? Would we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Will you help us? Lord, for the person that's struggling with finding a reason to study your word, would you convince them? Lord, for those that are struggling to figure out why they don't love your word, Lord, would you give them their answer and then give them the truth to their answer? Would you make us a people of you who study your word. 
Lord, would you help us be mistaken for being Christ followers? And then have that be accurate. As someone might say, we seem like Jesus. Would you, Lord, help each person here imitate you? Would you help them walk in the Spirit? Would you fill their conversations with your word? Lord, would you let some people here have lunch conversations, lunch dates this week, where your word is just flowing from their lips and each person's edified because they're talking about you and how wonderful you are. That you have not left us here alone to guess what it means to know you, but you've lovingly given us your word, your written word. And although people have tried to destroy it for hundreds of years, it is preserved. Lord, thank you for your complete scriptures, Old and New Testament, where we can learn about your Son in both. We see about your grace in both, your majesty and wonder in the completed scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would keep these dear ones here, these saints, Lord, from believing lies, for perpetuating lies too, and half the theological truths, which is a full lie. Lord, for those that are here that are investigating church and have not given their lives to Jesus Christ, Lord, Lord, would you just, we want them to know you. And then to grow in affection for you and then to live on mission for you, making your great name known. Protect us as a church. Please grow us in unity for the sake of our city and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.